the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Hello everyone and welcome to Inside Track. I'm your host, Jasper Parai, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Anastasia Guha today. She has a very impressive CV in responsible investing, really spanning all the way from policy setting to helping clients actually implement these policies. Anastasia is the global head of sustainable investment at the investment consultant Reddington. She's an advisory board member at Pensions for Purpose and spent an impressive 10 years at the PRI before. Welcome, Anastasia. Thanks, Jess. Happy to be here. Really great to have you. So the, the challenge around investing sustainably is, is reasonably well outlined, as we were discussing earlier, Anastasia. Many investors really, truly understand the foundational elements of the problem. The fact that divestment is a first step isn't really helpful. The fact that meaningful engagement is important. More capital needs to be invested data is patchy, but it's getting better. So it will be great to focus our discussion today on the next layer of this challenge and really take a step up beyond those foundational elements. But perhaps we dive in. It would be great, Anastasia, to hear from you around your background. You were at the PRI before. You're now advising some of the largest clients and investors in the UK through Reddington. Perhaps if you can talk us through what your current role involves from a day-to-day perspective, that'd be a great place to start. Of course. So uh, the global head of sustainable investment is typically all things to all people. Um, But what it means is I sit across both the investment consulting team that looks after clients on a day-to-day basis on advice, as well as looking at uh, and working with the manager research team that actually thinks about implementation routes for the advice that we actually give clients. It looks at fund managers and thinks about what good looks like truly in the space and are, are the managers that we're looking at standing out from the crowd in any way. So. Um, and, and the third prong of my job is thinking about data and reporting. So we have a team that does ESG analytics and really looking at, are they fit for purpose? Are we telling clients what they need to know? Or is this just a big tick boxing exercise? So not an easy job by any by any stretch. Perhaps touching on the first element then, Anastasia, where you talked about the end investors. Clearly, you've got first-hand experience. Investors have come from a two-dimensional access where they were optimizing for risk and return. Now, there's this very important additional element of sustainability. What in your mind, I guess, needs to change from a thinking perspective and a decision-making perspective as investors approach target setting and decision-making around this sort of three-dimensional investment problem? Yeah, you've just actually highlighted probably the most important starting point, which is it's really important to be entirely honest with yourselves as a capital allocator, as an asset owner, on what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to solve for. Are you looking at risk to the portfolio or are you looking at risk that the portfolio is creating in the world? And some some people like to think of this as a, a, as a market beta problem or, a, or not, as the case may be. It, and it's I think what happens often is that you speak to clients who like the idea of setting impact goals like net zero but don't like the actions that you need to take to do it because it takes them too far away in their view from that risk lens of the world. So the first thing we try to do is really delve into what, uh, if if it's, you know, what the trustee board or what the investment committees really want to do, what is their risk appetite um, 
as it were. And then when you start with that, you you in, inevitably fall into this, but the data and the uncertainty and decision makers should be open to the fact that a lot of this work will keep changing. So it's it's not possible to set targets and to dogmatically follow them because you know, what was uh, in vogue and actually recommended even by us at the UNPRI at the time, which is decarbonization, decarbonization, decarbonization in 2015 and 16, has now moved into different things like alignment and, uh, and impact and net zero. So, you, you know, to keep up, you have to be flexible. This is hard because that's not the way we operate in the markets. And as you say, with, with perfect hindsight, modeling and forecasting, almost like a, a net zero decarbonization journey plan is is tricky and, and, and objectives will, will evolve constantly. Fr- from a framework perspective, perhaps maybe maybe talk us through then what are some of the key KPIs that clients can think of around which they, they need to evolve their decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this, Jazz. I think TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which a lot, in, a lot of asset owners in the UK have to do either this year or, or in the coming years, is a really useful tool. But it is the end of a process. It is not the start of a process. But what it does is it gives you a framework of the sorts of metrics that you should monitor to then come up with your targets and your goals and your decisions. And so TCFD is a really important metric. It includes uh, a dashboard that has a, a collection of backward-looking metrics like carbon footprint and carbon intensity, some forward-looking metrics now like alignment, and then, of course, uh, some risk metrics like scenario analysis. And so what it does is it forces you to take a look at the entire risk picture within your frame, within your portfolio and then start to think about it on a regular basis because it's an annual disclosure. So that this this conundrum of what happens if things change is something you have to do anyway. You have to look at it anyway. Um, and so that's that's an important uh, dashboard approach uh, and and framework that we that we work with a lot in this market for compliance reasons. But increasingly in Europe, we're seeing this coming up as as the way forward. I mean, interestingly, the UK trustee base knows more about climate risk than pretty much any other trustee base in the world. It's it's so. In incredibly sophisticated because they've got a lot of training around these dashboards. But I think the other thing that you have to look at is stewardship, which, you know, the, the you talked earlier about, um, you know, divestment not being the starting point, and that's the case for almost all of our clients. But then if you're going to stay invested, how are you going to make it count? And so far, stewardship has been a stop-start, slightly patchy, activity and what we are expecting more and more is it for it for it to be much more robust because that's our investment strategy of staying invested in high emitting sectors so if we are if we're going to sort of try to bring emissions down and have interim targets in 2030 that are you know published because of the tcfd report uh, we have to make it count so we start to see a shift in the way engagement outcomes are considered and reported and as and when you sit around trustee meetings, Anastasia, how are you how are you marrying the the reporting framework and decision making together? Is it more live discussions and debate requiring lots of time and energy, or is it more, you know, where do you draw the line between this is noise and data driven versus the here we need to act really, really intensely and seriously? That's a really good question. I think 
one of the jobs of of people like us, uh, the, the advisors, is to do that across all factors, not just not just sustainable investing. Right? You know, we've just seen what's happened in the markets uh, have affected pension schemes quite a lot. It's really important to find the signal within the noise. It's the job of of the investment consultant, frankly. But even without that, it's it's really important to see what is the most important set of factors that are that you have within your control. I mean, this is something we talk about all the time, which is worry about the things that you have control over um, instead of things that you don't have control over. So if the market expands hugely and as a result, your emissions in, improve because actually your portfolio is expanded, this is not something you can control. So instead of thinking of that backward looking metric, think about alignment. Think about the number of companies in your portfolio that are actually aligning or close to aligning or about to align to a 1.5 degree world if you have set a net zero target. I mean, that those are the sorts of discussions that we have to, again, to to bring out the signal within the noise. And that's a great segue into into the next next part of the conversation, which is, as investors have set these benchmarks, set net zero targets at a portfolio level, perhaps talk us through some examples or case studies of what are some of the some of the well-regarded asset owners, or what in your mind is a gold gold standard of very good practice, and what might people learn from that? Yeah, tricky question. Great question. Um, I'm not going to I'm not going to name my favorites because of you know getting into trouble. It's like naming your favorite child. <laughs> but I will tell you some of the the behaviors and the activities of the leaders. So the first thing that we see within the leaders is that they really focus they they state in a stated fashion focus on real world decarbonization because when you say real world decarbonization you're automatically saying it's not just the risk to my portfolio that i care about i also care about the risk my portfolio is having and and importantly the impact that my portfolio is having so you know the the, the sort of risk return impact aspect that you talked about earlier so what this means is you in terms of real actions is that you start thinking less about factors that may or may not be entirely in your control, like uh, carbon footprint, carbon intensity. You monitor these and of course you want them to go down, but you don't overly stress about them. Instead, you start thinking about uh, things like forward-looking alignment, as well as actions like stewardship, which actually, the most impactful stewardship. So you start to keep an eye on your, for instance, the 70% of your top financed emissions. So often we find it follows the Pareto principle, you know, 20% of your portfolio yields 80% of your of your emissions. Well, if it's a long-term portfolio or if it's a portfolio that's relatively stable, you can actually look at these companies over the next two, three, four years, which is the amount of time it takes to actually get into these conversations with company leaders, chairs, boards, et cetera, and see if that discussion about business strategy is having an impact on, for instance, operational expenditure, capital expenditure. And, you know, these are the sorts of things we are seeing the level of detail that we're seeing asset owners look at for fund managers, if they're doing the voting directly for you, or if they've taken the voting back to themselves, then uh, an engagement back to themselves, then for themselves. So th- this is this this is an interesting um, sort of inflection point, I think, uh, as we as we start to to progress towards hitting these, in some cases, 2025 targets um, or deadlines for targets. 
And I think you've touched on some key key points there around stewardship. You mentioned a few times. Perhaps perhaps talk us through what in your mind should be some of the key questions that trustees and investors should be asking of their asset managers because ultimately they they delegate investing to their managers what what should they be holding the industry to account for and and monitoring as a regular ba- on a regular basis as, as some positive outcomes that they would like to see sure so one of the things we always find is that a lot of asset managers especially in 2022 have really good firm level policies but when we start looking at asset owners don't in, in, invest in firms, they invest in strategies. And so when we start to look at the translation of those firm level policies into the strategies, could be net zero, could be other things to do with sustainability factors. There is a quite patchy implementation of that and sometimes quite poor implementation of that at strategy level. And so that's something that we would start with. How are the firm, what is the firm saying versus what is the strategy saying? Can the other two married up? Is there a direction of travel there? Um, the second thing is looking at, and again, an Achilles heel is everyone, a lot of people are showing quite good uh, research, uh, both in-house as well as bought in, good um, distribution of that research to investment decision makers, but no actual investment decisions made off the back of any of it. So what I mean by that is, has exposure been increased or decreased to firms and companies, geographies and sectors based on what you have found in your research to do with sustainability factors? The answer is often not no, but no, we can't show you ev- any evidence of that. So it's a pretty easy question for a, a, an asset owner to ask a fund manager who's coming in for their their quarterly update to say, can you give me in the last quarter or the last year, a company that you either allocated to or removed your allocation from even on a wait, waiting basis um, that has to do with that had to do with sustainability factors. And if no one can say anything about that, then over over several meetings, then, you know, it's, it's something to think about. And finally, I think often this is a time horizon issue. Everyone accepts that these are risks. It's just not risk to their portfolio. And why is that? It's because they're going to tilt away from it. It's because they're going to um, you know, do great uh, stock selection where this won't even be a problem. But investors are very, especially large diversified investors, are very susceptible to market movements. And we know that climate risk is a systemic market moving risk, as so many other risks are. And so it's really important that we look at outcomes-based stewardship in the, in the way that we were describing. So people not just saying these are the activities, these are the number of letters, these are the number of calls, these are the number of et cetera, which managers are pretty good at doing now, but the so what? That's great, you did all this. What did it achieve? And what went well? What went badly? What are you gonna do next year? Um, those sorts of conversations, again, start to start to pull back the curtain on who's really doing this um, in the same, aligned to your outcomes as, uh, and who, who, who may be uh, doing it a little, little bit more uh, superficially. That's great, Anastasia. And I think I think you hit on another key key point there around, you know, sometimes people in the industry get fixated by stewardship attribution and, and who who's ro- who's played what role in the end outcome. Whereas in reality, the more participants that actively engage towards a better outcome, the better. And I think the attribution can can probably take care of itself. So Anastasia, you made a very interesting point earlier about TCFD and dashboard metrics. 
If I was to be quite harsh, is it fair to interpret that carbon intensity isn't the be-all and end-all and perhaps isn't the most important metric, something which we find clients are absolutely fascinated by? Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we've spent a lot of time educating uh, asset owners about what the difference between carbon footprint and weighted average carbon intensity is and how that's different from carbon per pound invested, etc. But And I think these are important things to keep in mind. But here's the thing, they're all backward looking. And they have quite high deltas with other economic variables that have nothing to do with either sustainability or the client's decisions. So you could be holding a company that has increased exponentially in size and therefore their their carbon footprint has fallen just as a measure. And and this happens across the piece, especially in times that we're living in now, COVID uh, and and you know sterling, etc. The portfolios going up and down in size. There's more volatility, and yet um, actually you know, you're not making any of these decisions. So for us, if I was to say, you know, of course we we would measure all of these things and we would set a target on absolute emissions by and large or, or emissions intensity of some kind, depending on the what the client prefers. But really the most important metric to monitor, especially fund manager activity on, is alignment. And in the past, that's been a hard sell because alignment was yet another thing they would have to do, yet another thing they would have to measure, uh, yet another thing they would have to get data for. But now it's something that TCFD requires on a statutory basis. So it's allowed us to say, if there was one metric to look at, to really understand uh, where the portfolio was going and actually to hold your fund managers to account to, it's alignment. So alignment of the, the companies or the securities within the portfolio to a 1.5 or below two degree world. That's an excellent, excellent point, Anastasia. And in creating that clarity that for investors, you know, this focus around dogmatic climate measurement or carbon intensity measurement is is perhaps less counterproductive from a forward-looking perspective. And alignment is a key metric. And that's completely where as an as an asset manager ourselves, 91 have spent all of our energy and effort in the last few years really understanding where our biggest emissions come from and creating explicit company level targets around alignment and then working with the investment analysts to ensure all stewardship activity focuses around that so that's yeah that's music to our ears and uh, yeah it'll be great to see trustees and clients focus on that as a primary metric of of activity going forward and i think i guess if, if there's one last one last question to to end the discussion um Anastasia, if there's, I mean, Reddington have been very, very thoughtful in, in putting together a, a transition framework, an overall program for clients, and also very active in, in investing clients to to look at sustainability and impact solutions. Any any new interesting ideas you're coming across in terms of investment solutions that clients are adopting increasingly from a Reddington perspective? Loads and loads. But here's the thing. I think that and again, you know, we have to, to to tell capital allocators the most impactful solutions often sit within the private markets at the moment. There is some things that you can do potentially with with public um, with public debt specifically, but largely this sits in the private markets. 
at as we speak if you think about additionality especially you know things that wouldn't have happened if your money hadn't funded it um having said that actually it's it's hard to keep up with the number of solutions uh, that are out there which is why it's really important to set a high bar because the thing with solutions is that it's not going to look good from a carbon footprint perspective often it's on the production side of the economy rather than the consumption side of the economy and so as a result it's going to have a higher carbon footprint in the initial years than your average uh, you know consumer good you know, company or tech company, et cetera, which often are what ESG tilted funds are filled with. And so it's really important to, uh, to, to keep that in mind, to give them the runway to take, uh, to take that sort of market risk down for you. And of course, in time uh, for them to be one of the solutions, for instance, electrifying the grid or EVs or so many different, uh, so many different options there. But it's a really exciting market. And for those who have the ability to, to Bring that sort of exposure onto their books. We, we're always giving them lots of ideas. That's great. We started in the on the risk question, and then we ended at the with the return opportunity. Thank you, thank you for your time, Anastasia. I think that was a really helpful conversation. Lots of great uh, takeaways for clients. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.